This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and today we have a really cool episode for you. I can't wait to get into it, but first a poem. A while back, I interviewed Laura Van Proyen for the podcast. She wrote the book Francis of the Wider Field, a book of poetry that also weaves a story together, and she runs a publishing imprint called Next Page Press, and after our interview, she sent me this book called Glow by Ann Hudson. It's hard to explain, but it's about Marie Curie's work and some of its unintended uh, scientific consequences, and uh, it tells a story as well, and this is the first poem from that book. Afterglow. Radium dial stood empty, fenced off a buzz, boards on the windows, scrub weeds pocking the dusty yard. The story quieted down. After a while, no one gazed through the chain-link fence. When at last the factory was leveled, locals picked over the rubble helping themselves to good bricks. Schools were glad to reclaim the oak desks. Even now, radium fingerprints tarnish everything. Houses, a car dealership, a running track, a lot that hosts a flea market on the weekends. St. Columba Cemetery radiates. We think what we can't see can't hurt us. We think this deep in our bones. So if you don't already know today's guest, his name is Dan Simpson, and he runs a podcast. He runs several podcasts. He has a podcast for kids that teaches them things about science, but the one we wanted to talk about today was a podcast he has called Writer's Routine. He interviews a wide variety of authors, whether they're first-time novelists or whether they're well-published veterans, new authors, famous authors alike. He talks to them, and he talks to them about what are their granular routines? What are all the little conditions that they need in order to produce their creative work? And I thought it would be really cool to talk to him. And maybe we can start thinking about translating the work that writers in the world do to our classrooms. So here it is, my interview with Dan Simpson. I'd grown up reading fairly extensively and always dreaming of being a writer. I was just quite terrible at writing. I was quite terrible at sitting down and actually doing a few hours a day of writing. And I picked up a book by a guy called, I think, Mason Curry. He'd, he'd done a blog called Daily Rituals then, and then made a book of it, which was full of different writers' routines or and the lives and times of creative people. And I, I was sifting through that, and I've always been very interested in the back end of anything. I love documentaries that take you behind the scenes, even if it's something I'm really not interested in. I love looking at the way things become what they are. So that piqued my interest because of that. And as I say, I was desperately trying to write a, a novel but couldn't figure out how to do it, how to make time to do it, how to channel my creativity in a way that would help me do that. And 
I present radio for a kids radio station here in the UK called Fun Kids. And through that, I was talking to a lot of different authors. So I had a lot of contacts and I thought, well, it might be interesting to chat to authors just to see how they do it. So I did that. The irony being now, I started the podcast to learn how to write, but the podcast takes up so much of my time that I don't have any available space to write with. So that's kind of how things started. It was my curiosity at the back end of how people get to do what they do. And I just had the opportunity. So I thought, and, and it was at the time. So I started this, what, in 2017. It was, uh, I guess, the second or third wave of podcasting. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of hit, I, I caught onto that slight wave. And that, that's, and Same. here we are. So um, ha- like the time issue, mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of the authors that you interviewed uh, deal with i was gonna mm. probably get to this later but let's talk about it now um uh. a lot of the writers are not full-time writers a lot of them work part-time well and what have you learned about how these part-time writers manage their time because this is going to be helpful for teachers too the thing that we always talk about in our professional development sessions dan is I don't have enough time to try this new thing, or I want to do this with my students in my writing classroom, but we don't have enough time because the class periods last this long. So there's a, there's a little bit of an overlap. So what have you noticed about how like part-time writers manage their time around writing? Yeah, it's interesting, Noah. Um, I think, I think what I, what I've gleaned is that you, you get almost two types of, of writers at that level. A level level might be a, a a poor way to describe it. <laughs> if, if if you're not published yet, if if writing or if writing is not your full time job, because I think quite a lot of uh, aspiring writers are, are slightly disillusioned at, at how things actually are, and you have to have sold <laughs> quite a lot of books and be fairly popular to be able to make it your full time job. Um, I I think they fall into two camps. And and that's one that plans their day almost around their writing. And that so if you were a teacher, I again I don't know how busy teachers are in in, in over in the states. I know that here I've got friends who are teachers, and they there's all there's no they have no free time. There's yeah. no free time to do anything else with. So they've got a really really eke out what time they have, and and they might wake up at five a.m. for instance to write from six till seven. Then they'll get up and they'll get their life, they'll get the kids, they'll get the family sorted before they go out and do the day job. So that's one type of writer is that that they will carve out a time in their day to do this, be it an, an hour a day, it's much better than nothing. And they'll do that mm-hmm. fairly strictly and fairly religiously. Then you get another type of writer who are grabbing any snatches of time that they can to do this work. They feel that uh, they need to get the story down. They need to get it out. It, it's, it's almost some yearning inside them, which means they 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 need to get it out there. And that's never how it was for me. I only wanted to write because I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to live mm-hmm. the life of a writer. I've not quite ever had the story that demands to be told like some writers that I've spoken to describe it as. But when they're in that camp, it, it's any free time they have. When they get back from work, you know, when other people might be, watching telly with a glass of wine tending to their family just taking it easy because i know that writing is such a oh sorry teaching is such such a demanding job but they don't do that they will be um just sat and sat and writing until they can't keep their eyes open anymore yeah. so i can translate that into a classroom thing pretty easily uh, mm. 
the thing that we the the phrase that presenters will use professional development presenters will use is uh we make time for what's important so if writing is important obviously we think it is because we both host writing podcasts (laughs) you carve out the time for it and what i'm hearing is they'll either have a set time of day a routine where it's always this time of day so that you can't accidentally forget or put it off or they look for any little crack in their schedule where they could throw in some writing so teachers could probably figure out a way to do that kind of thing with their students not easily but i think that they could figure out how a way to do it what i wanted to get into next was routines just mm. in general because the thing that bl- that blew my mind probably four or five episodes and maybe even three episodes there's not one routine <laughs> i know like <laughs> like we teach in school like this is what you do this is what you do next this is what you do next that's not the case with writing but i bet you've probably noticed some patterns in some different writers routines should i be more specific yeah yeah please yeah i'm, I'm, I'm racking my brains over the, <laughs> the patterns i found but if you found any please you're more than welcome to shout them to me well, we could just start with like the specific areas of a writer's day where a routine could happen. Like, yeah. Um, what one of the questions you ask early on in your interviews is, uh, what do you have around you when you write? Right. Okay. And in the in the school world, we have a, like a saying among some teachers: the class environment is the second teacher. So okay. I connect very much with that question that you ask writers. What are some patterns you notice in the kinds of things writers have around them? I found speaking to different types of what I have found over 250 episodes of this podcast is that there are types of authors that there are a lot of writers who want to be want to have the dream writing life where they are able to sit there in their behind their big desk or in their big leather chair with a glass of whiskey on the go late at night Mm -hmm. and 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 there are authors who uh, as we were talking about earlier, kind of snatch their time and they don't really care where they write. Well, I think those are two I'm, good patterns. Like there, a lot yeah, of writers I, have totems and items around them, I've noticed, right? Yeah, so, and I was speaking to, hang on, an author called Greg Hurwitz just, just a few days ago. He, he writes a series of books called The Orphan X Books and he's like quite a, quite a macho dude. Yeah. And, and, in a good way, like he will dive headfirst into his research in that he swims with sharks or trains with Navy SEALs. Anyway, that's by the by. <laughs> I was ta- I was talking to him about, as you say, tokens, kind of totems, like cues to let you know that this is the time where you are being creative. This is the time where you are writing. And thinking back, that is echoed in quite a lot of the authors that I've spoken to in which they will have. I'm holding up my notebook now. They will have a <laughs> notebook. They might light a candle. And it's it's things that they're, they're tricking their brain into thinking that this is a regular nine to five job. So in some people who might, you know, work in sales, they might go to the office. They might have these little rituals and mm-hmm. for writers that might not be the same. So they're tricking their brain into letting them do that. And that's one way that they do it. Another mm-hmm. thing that people have around them, I've noticed, is that especially for writing is uh, examples that they've done this before. So it might be countless copies in various languages of all the books that they've yeah. had published. It might be uh, a framed picture on the wall of when they front covered a, a magazine or something. And and I think that that's really important when you are in the very sticky middle of a book 
<clears throat> and it doesn't matter who it is. It might be a debut author. It might be, I've not chatted to him, but it might be someone like Stephen King who's publishing their 5,000th book or whatever it is. When you are in the middle, it does seem like there is no way out, no matter how many times you've done it. <laughs> and I think for a lot of authors, it's very important to have evidence that can remind them around them that, you know, you've done this before, you can see the light at the end of this very, very dark tunnel. So I think that's something that a lot of authors will have around them. I only asked that question. I asked that question at the start for two reasons. <clears throat> One, I'm a radio man, so I, I, I've always worked in radio. So it's it's very, I'm, I'm very keen on opening a listener's eye into where we are. And also because it kind of lets me get my ducks in order as an interviewer. Mm -hmm. I asked them this question and, and I can... I can, I can judge in that answer what type of interviewee they will be. It lets me mm -hmm. kind of pick up on things. It lets me think through other questions. So that's kind of why I asked that. Like it made me think of your recent interview with Tom Hendel, where he, yeah. I think he actually was one of the authors. He, I think it, he's written a couple of books and he has those yeah. books available so he can just see, okay, I've yeah. done this before. And that's such a magical answer to me. Cause just imagine like, you're a student back in primary school or secondary school and uh you're surrounded by totems that inspire the kinds of writing you might do and you're surrounded by evidence that you've done this before yeah <laughs> that would be uh, such a nice place to write i know and families do that don't don't they families oh, wow. parents will stick like the exam paper or the math test, whatever it is that you got an A plus on, they'll, they'll, well, traditionally, and they stick it on the fridge or wherever it is. And so so that kind of happens in your family. But I think mm -hmm. when, when you get older and you're not in school anymore and you're a, bit all, you're a bit autonomous and your life is yours, maybe you want to bring those closer to you. So it, it's right there at eye level. I've, I've done this before. I love that. So... When it comes to another routine, uh, teachers don't agree on how we should have students plan their writing. Right, and they okay. don't think that authors agree on a way no. to plan their writing. Yeah. Instead of a pattern, what are some different ways of planning that you've seen? Because I, I hear the word plotters and pantsers a lot on the show. And for teachers who don't already know what that is, a plotter is someone who plans out every detail, a pantser mm -hmm. who's someone who writes on the seat by the seat of their pants, and they're mm -hmm. just figuring it out as they go. What are some of the things, ways of planning that you've seen writers use? Well, so the standard method of planning I've seen is that there are books on this, but it's what's traditionally called the hero's journey, where it, it, it's very easily um, trackable in The Lord of the Rings. So I don't know how familiar your listeners will be. I, I imagine if they're teachers and writers, they'll, they'll know the story. But uh, At least Fro the books. Yeah, there we go. So Frodo goes up on this journey. Um, and he starts at, you know, point one and then point two and three. He has these dramatic moments. And then and there needs to be a, a moment of uh, tension and your plot drops. It dips into almost a hill and it looks like he, they can never recover. And then they go through a journey of self-discovery and pull themselves up the other end. They finish their mission and they go back home. So that's why it's very traceable in Lord of the Rings, where they start and end in the same place. But in that journey, they have grown as a person. So that's a main method of plotting that you see is what's called the hero's journey. I've probably described it quite terribly. You're more than welcome to look it up. <laughs> there are... Um, you did quite well. 
Well, you're very kind. There are the, there's the three act structure. There's the five act structure. There are so many books on. I think a famous one is 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 Save the Cat or something. It's called something mm-hmm. like that. If you if yeah. you give, give that a search online, there's very famous ways mm-hmm. to plot things. But so many authors I've spoken to kind of eschew that traditional method. I'm thinking of like uh, I think it was Jeffrey Deaver. I I might mm-hmm. have them all mixed up. But yeah, I, well, I certainly do. So you're okay. I've, I've, when you chat to like 250 authors, you forget who said what. Well, I'll be honest with I you. I can understand. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about your interview with him, and he hmm. would just write an outline, and he wouldn't start writing the book until he had like the an outline that had everything that's going to happen in the yeah. book, and then he just spits out a draft. To me, that feels impossible, but I bet that connects with lots of writers. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it does. I, 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 Jeffrey Deaver might have been an author, and I've spoken to a few authors who almost get down ten, twenty, thirty thousand words of an mm-hmm. outline. And I would say, well, I, I, I can't imagine myself doing that. It, it, it would seem almost defeating the point of the discovery. Mm-hmm. I remember chatting to the author Anne Cleves. I don't know how much she's traveled oh, traveled over the pond, but she is a big crime writer over here mm-hmm. and cleaves uh and and I, I i was asking her about plotting and pantsing and she sounded almost disgusted at the idea that you would plot a novel because she, <laughs> she would say well if, if i knew what happened i wouldn't write the thing mm-hmm. which which does sound like a uh, that, that does sound the perfect answer why would you write a murder mystery when you knew everything about it why would you sp- give so much time and so much of yourself to do this I know for me, I, I, I like to have an idea of where I'm going because that's what the idea is. So many authors mm-hmm. I speak to, when they are plotting, they will, what comes to them is that final image. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, So they know where they want to go on the, on the roadmap that we sometimes describe it as. But I think what's very important to remember is where you think you are heading as you start writing and you carry on and you get to know your characters, it, it is more than likely that they are going to drag you somewhere that you did not expect to go. That's always very good to keep in mind. You can plot as much as you would like, but it's highly probable that your characters will drag you completely off your set route. I was at a teaching conference and there was a fairly famous uh, young adult author and he got into such a heated argument with in a Q&A with a teacher who felt <laughs> like the pantsing or writing to discover was the way to go. Like he almost had her in tears because he was like, you cannot, you cannot run a race if you don't know where the finish line is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's what I'm kind of picking up what's dawning on me as he answered the question was like, what does the writer want to get out of the writing plays a role in whether the, how much they plot. Like an author like Jeffrey Deaver, maybe James Patterson, who probably only writes outlines and then a ghostwriter fills in all <laughs> the details. I'm just guessing at that. Um, <laughs> their job is to spit out lots and lots of content. So you probably don't have time to discover. Yeah. But as a writer who is writing for the sake of the, and the joy of writing, it might be a little bit different. I'm kind of thinking, like, do you think that it has something to do with maybe the writer feel having it feel like work? Like I, even the pantsers that you've talked to, like uh, Rosie Andrews, the one, a recent one, a recent interview, mm. she, she said that she kind of pants, but she at least knows what the end is that she's working toward. Yeah. So there, and I think a lot of the authors you've inter- interviewed have something like that. 
yeah, that, that, I, I would say that that's the most common way of doing it. As I was saying, a lot of authors want to know where they're going. But, but it's interesting. I never thought about what you, you just kind of brought up, that it might all be about time. That if you are churning out book after book after book and you've done a lot of them, maybe you just don't have the time and you don't have the will to almost discover the plot twice. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that might be a good, a good way of thinking about it. I, I, th- I think most authors do it how, if I remember rightly, Rosie Andrews plotted and that she had the idea, but she, and, and she was perfectly fine to uh, si- sift through the mud as she was as she was going along. But yeah, I, I've it's interesting. I, every time I chat to an author, because everyone's style is different, and that's what's really important to remember. Mm-hmm. Some authors, particularly authors who are just starting out when they've published one or two books and you know traditionally the first novel is almost always the most autobiographical they're not looking at it as a they're not looking at the shop floor nature of writing it's not a an industry that they're trying to get into and craft out book after book after book they are writing it as and as they're going along they're discovering it along the way and that maybe when they get pressures of publication and and agents and whatnot then, then maybe they need to sit down and try and plan it. But you, you started this question asking about Tom Hindle and he was very insistent that <clears throat> he always wanted to be a pantser. Mm-hmm. But no, sorry, rather, he always wanted to be a plotter. Plotter, yeah. Was, sorry, yeah, he always wanted to be a plotter, but ended up being a pantser. Mm-hmm. And whether that's because being a plotter is too much effort or maybe it takes the joy away. I don't know. Being a writer is, you know, you're sat there on your own for a lot of the time. Your time is your own mm-hmm. if you're doing that as a full-time job i understand that maybe a lot of your listeners are not sure. um the well, yeah, why why i don't know why would you want to organize it that much why wouldn't you want to just figure out what's happening yeah i think that it's i'm, tra- I'm as i translate it into a classroom situation i think it goes a few different ways there's the with the younger writers i think it's so important to focus on the joy so if you're doing a lot of plotting with younger writers i can see why you would want to do that i can even see cases where we probably should do that for with certain kinds of writing because it gives you a structure that you can pour your ideas into yeah and for students who have a hard time coming up with ideas that structure really helps but at the same time we also need to have situations where students can enjoy writing And if we're going to have students in situations where they enjoy writing, the kids who are super organized maybe need to be able to plot. And the kids who just need to learn how to be creative and just have fun need to write by the seat of their pants. It's not a, once again, it's not a one size fits all. It also makes me think about not just fun and joy, but mojo, like the mojo that a writer needs to sustain in order to keep going. Have you noticed anything, any Mm. patterns or anything that writers do to sustain their writing mojo a lot of a lot of authors run out of their mojo right i I spoke to you earlier on about the very baggy middle and and what a lot of authors need is just the the knowledge that they have done this before Mm -hmm. and no 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 one sits there over the course of five six months plus slogging away over ninety thousand words plus if they didn't have that mojo to do it and I think the only trick that I've I've seen is is and it's it, not really the trick, but the only pattern I've seen is just different ways of pushing on when you do get to mm-hmm. the point where everything looks like you can't do any, you can't write a single word, you you can't see what's happening mm-hmm. in the middle of your novel. 
and yeah, I, I I've not really noticed any patterns of of mojo. I'm afraid. For sure, I, and I think it's more about like as a listener who's mm. put some of these together, and, and just in my mind, it it really feels like the there are certain whatever it is writers have routines that sustain them through those dark nights of the soul. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, I I can't think of a specific author right now that you've interviewed, but usually it's they have a certain time of day where they write no matter what, or they like you've talked to writers that you ask them about whether they have a certain word count. And not all writers have one, but they usually have a certain amount that they're trying to get down, even if it's bad, or they just give themselves permission to write badly, and then they mm. fix it all later. Yeah, but Those are some of the things that I've noticed, and it's usually just either a routine or a habit of mind that I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. And this is the way I'm going to sit down to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, um, one of the best bits of advice I was ever given, and I've been given it subsequently many many times is an author called tim marshall who wrote a book called prisoners of geography which sold so many books in the uk he said a variation on but to chair fingers to keyboard and that was all you need so that that was the motivation that you needed is that yes. um no as i said i said earlier no one chooses to do this uh, so no one would, would would choose to do this if they couldn't do it and and you have to be good to be a published author and yep. treat it treat it like a nine to five as well as you can mm. and s set yourself a goal and just sit down and write and what i have learned since doing this which 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 which, which might be tough you know if you're if you're setting your students writing assignment kind of pushing that it can all be cleared up in the edit but i think that's really the key and yeah. that that's that's really tough when you've not done it before i think when you've not published many books when you're sitting there for your first couple um kind of slogging through as i say ninety thousand words onwards mm -hmm. knowing that this might all be useless tap yeah. but you can fix it at the end i think that must be quite a hard yes frame of mind to get into to know that these this might be wasted words and wasted time but a key thing to remember is it's not wasted words and it's not wasted time because it it harks back to what we were talking about plotting plotting and pantsing doesn't it that you're discovering as you go along it's just it, it you might need that edit time to refine what it is you've discovered. You're absolutely right about all parts of it. Like I've, I sit down with students and I'll, I might say like, you know, you got to give yourself permission just to not worry about writing well right yeah. now. Just, just get your idea down. And they look at me, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? This is horrible. And I don't know what to mm. do. It's hard to trust <laughs> the process yeah. when you haven't been through the process. So one thing that I just, do just for our listeners is uh, <clears throat> I'll sit down with a student and I'll say, all right, let's just write it badly. Don't give yourself permission to write it well. Let's just write down a few ideas. So how might you start, how might you write this first sentence? Like what's the worst way you could write it? And then we just write oh. that down. And I just work, I walk them through writing it badly and then fixing it and knowing that you can write badly and fix it later. Or sometimes you think you're going to write badly and it turns out to be pretty good. Being able to walk someone through that process yeah. can be helpful for teachers. Now, one thing that I've noticed, and this is my probably my favorite thing I wanted, I was so excited to talk to you about. Right, okay. A, a surprising number of writers, when they're stuck or when they need to see their story differently in order to do some good revising or editing, they change their fonts. <laughs> yeah. And that 
And that uh, answer has come from you asking writers about their fonts. Can you tell uh, me about uh, the font question? Right. So I never used to ask this question. I, I, I don't think I ever asked it, but I was sent an email by a listener to say that, look, I'm quite interested in fonts. I'm quite curious as to I'm obsessed with my fonts. Can you talk about it? And it makes perfect sense that a writer would be quite obsessed with fonts because when you submit to an agent, at least in this country, you need to submit it in a certain way. I can't remember what it is, but maybe it's the Times New Roman font, 12 point double spaced, whatever it is. When you're staring at one screen all day, when this is your livelihood, it makes complete sense why you would try and make it as exciting as you can be. You know, if you were stuck in one room for the rest of your life, you would probably want to decorate it quite ni quite nicely. <clears throat> so anyway, I'd been uh, emailed that question and I was chatting to an author called Mark Watson, who is a comedian over here in the UK and I think writes if I, thrillers, if I remember. And I, I kind of threw it out there, not expecting much. And he said he writes in one font and edits in another, which I remember blew my mind at the time because it seems so simple, doesn't it? When you have spent months of your life carving out 90,000 words, uh, it, makes, it makes so much sense that you would switch things up because it mm -hmm. changes the way that you viewed it. It changes what you're looking at. It gives you a completely different perspective on what you're writing. So uh, he, he told me that, and I've since given that advice to many other authors. But what's interesting is some people are really, really into the fonts. Mm -hmm. Some people get quite uh, particular and very old school about whether it's serif and how curved it is and the particular point. And they are quite very focused and specific about what, what they like without really ever understanding why, because why would, why would you, but you know, if someone likes writing in 13 point Georgia and then I suddenly change up, they might have a heart attack for instance, but they could never explain to me why. Uh, and, and that, that has become one of the most peculiarly strange thing about the podcast. I would say is how interesting and interested everyone is by yeah. the simple font. What what's your font choice? What's your font preference or type? Well, I, I should say typeface preference because some yeah, know-it-all listener might correct me, but no, that that's right. You're in the states, <laughs> aren't you? Well, so here's the deal. I um I I write in Pages on Apple, and it just I think it's just the standard Helvetica, uh, eleven point Helvetica. I'm very very quite conscious about eleven point. I don't really like mm -hmm. anything bigger. Uh, I I'm not, and again, I've not. I, I think I choose Helvetica. Be because it seems a bit different and unique, although it's obviously not because I'm using the default one on an Apple <laughs> as so many other people. So there's no way it's unique. Um, I occasionally like a, 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 I would say Baskerville, Baskerville. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like that, but I don't, again, I'm so useless with actual writing that I, I don't, um, I don't really think about it that much. I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah I, just, I, Nobody asked, but I am a uh, Georgia man, and I let can, me ask you. I can, I can tolerate <laughs> Libra. I can talk tolerate Baskerville. Okay, um, yeah, Georgia. That looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can. Georgia's a nice I, typeface. I, I can see that, but do you remember the um? Uh, I'm looking. I sorry, I'm I'm slightly distracted because I'm scanning through the fonts on my uh, pages, and I've come across papyrus remember papyrus that was the uh that was the avatar font wasn't it yeah yes, I remember it was. that. and again like it's something so simple right it's but... also the yoga studio font yeah so something like papyrus or something like comic sans causes such such a mm -hmm. a repulsive 
uh, emo- emotion that of, of course people have quite strong opinions about font- fonts and I can't believe I I took about three years doing the podcast without even thinking about fonts. It's it's amazing. So <laughs> I think this is a good place to bring it all home. Right. It, what like it is a thinking back to your life as a student wanting to have been a writer. I mean, you still are a writer. You're a journalist and it's like speak public speaking is a form of writing in most curriculum um but as just someone who wanted to write a novel or might someday what having done all these interviews what's something that you wish you would have known about writing as a student oh wow um take your time (laughs) no 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 it's fine i'm trying to think what uh well i think the most important answer which is probably a bit hokey, but it really has driven home to me over so, so many podcasts is that it isn't, it's not one size fits all. I do a podcast called Writer's Routine about writer's routines, but there is honestly no such thing. So many people do it so many different ways, which is interesting for you as a teacher that I, I I don't know at what level you teach, but um, you know, if you've got a an English class or a writing class, whatever it's called, and you know, it might be one o'clock on a Wednesday, and you're suddenly sitting down saying you need to write now. Well, that might be useless. It might not be doable to some people, but you've got to focus that. So I completely get the challenge that you're having. So lesson one is, it's not one size fits all. To take your time to understand how you work best. I'm very much a morning person, so when I do try and write, it's all about that. Uh, the other lesson I've learned is what I was talking about uh, to you earlier. It's that the most important thing is just to get on with it. You know, we, we've spoken about uh, totems and cues and reminding yourself that you can do it, all these different ways. But it's actually a white noise almost. It's a window dressing. You think that your life as a writer is putting words on a page. I think we can complicate that quite a lot by becoming so particular about where we're writing, how we're writing, when we're writing, that maybe we're distracting a lot of attention away from simply putting one word in front of another. Um, I've learned that, as I was saying, editing is writing. Writing is rewriting, or rewriting is writing, I think, is is how they say it. And that's so important. And, you know, as, as you'll do with this podcast, as I do with my podcasts, I can chat to an author for 40, 45, 50 minutes, but that's not what people will hear. So it makes perfect sense that what you're getting, that what you're writing first time, it's not going to be the finished article. It's obviously really downbeat and depressing to be putting so much of your time into this and knowing that you might need to cut it, but that just makes perfect sense. Uh, I think the best bit of actual writing advice that I've ever been given in terms of storytelling is just uh, get into the story as late as you can get into every scene as late as you can try and cut all exposition people are smart enough to work it out Stephen King will I think cuts almost all the adverbs don't be afraid of just saying said which (laughs) I I think makes a little bit of sense Uh, yeah I've not again it's interesting I've I've done so many of these podcasts now Uh, I, 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 I don't ever sit there and really analyze what I've learned from them I just hope that maybe some lessons getting through osmosis well i certainly have and i i know that all mm. the teachers that we steer toward you if they are not already listening <laughs> will absolutely get a lot you can't help but listen to your one can't help but listen to the writer's routine podcast and 
not come away with either ideas for their own writing or for their teaching. It's just a brilliant podcast. Well, that's it's very kind of you to say. And also what this chat has made me aware of is m- maybe how, how it can be taken differently. So for it, like, to let Dahlia end up on magic here, uh, I started the podcast back in, I think, 2017. It's just me. It's only ever been me. I'm living in a one-bedroom flat one yeah with my fiance in Tooting southwest London and like I do it all myself right so because it's so much work I don't expect you to play mini violins about how much work it is but you know it like it is that there's a lot going on for me to do this uh, I never kind of sit back and think about how it might be listened to or what people are taking from it that's not just oh it's interesting to hear about what writers do <laughs> so so the fact that you and uh, perhaps some of your listeners and, and other teachers are you in ohio is that right oh well the yeah the podcast is for, for an organization that's in ohio i'm currently Great, in vancouver okay. british columbia oh wow yes. okay that's that's right yeah so um yeah so wherever you're you know it, it's just amazing that people are listening to the show and and taking their <laughs> yeah taking their own ideas and, and getting what they want from it and maybe learning from the questions I ask or the answers that we get. It, yeah, I, I'd never really sat down to think about that. So that's, it's been very good to chat to you sim- simply for that. Well, if that conversation isn't a reason for teachers to differentiate their instruction in writing, I don't know what is. I hope that you took as many ideas away from this interview as I have from listening to Dan's podcast. I hope that you'll also listen to Dan's podcast, The Writer's Routine. It is just so good. And I get so many teaching ideas just from listening to writers talk about their processes. Anyway, if you want to find out more about Dan Simpson and the work that he does as a podcaster, and he also does a lot of other things, um, Please check out the show notes, and while you're there, check out information about the Ohio Writing Project and how you can become involved. We do professional development. We do uh, college credit courses. We even have a master's program through Miami University. Check it all out. And also, thank you for tuning in to Write Answers. (laughs) 